Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Stephen. This is John, the man you come to see. Does anyone, before we start, do you want any uh, wine or drinks or water or anything? Does anyone want <laughs> So the way I'd like to try and run it is that to try and be as good for you. As, so some of you are graduates, some of you are working, some of you are in between that area. So ask questions throughout. So rather than the old way of I'll speak, you'll speak, and blah, 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 and then you can ask questions at the end, let's try and make it throughout so you can get most out of it. So yeah. So, John, let me give you, a, just do a wee introduction to John. So, John, you've been working for nearly 25 years Ouch. in this kind of line. So, a few other stats. He's done roughly a thousand hours of TV, of, of cinema, of other kind of broadcast material, haven't you? Between shorts, documentaries, animation, uh, dramas, theatrical dramas. So, a thousand hours, that's about 41 hours. Now, as a comparison, I've been going 41 for... 41 days? 41 days, sorry, 41 days, so it's a thousand hours. By comparison, I've been going for 21 years, I make documentaries, and I've probably only done about two hours. Uh, two days, sorry. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, that, I'm like that, getting all the stats yeah. wrong. So, you 41, accounts. <laughs> 41 days is great, you know. So, it's, it's really good. So, I thought what we could do is we could just start with a kind of like a, his little showreel, and then we can go from there. Before we go into any other kind of bigger things, John, just can you give me a sense of when you started, just so we guys can get a better sense of who you are, and so you can include your British Rail time as well. Yeah, so I left school when I was 16, 17, went, spent four years working as a signal and telecoms engineer at British Rail, but you know, I thought, I'm not interested in this, so I got out, went and worked in theatre, starting a lot of sound designs and light designs for the tramway, Citizens Theatre. In fact, at one point I had um, quadraphonic soundtrack and light design in the tramway. It was a five hour. At the same time as having a show in the Citizens, it was called Wasp Factory. It's Ian Banks' novel. It was the first kind of multimedia. And I also had some for 784 at the same time running. So it was quite busy. I aged a wee bit during that period. So at that point you're doing sort of theatre sound Theatre lighting design. Theatre lighting design as well. And then you slightly move on a bit, don't you? Yeah, then I start to earn a wee bit more money doing television, you know, stuff. I, I then actually produced a Channel 4 programme called Zombie Town, Zombie. just on a rock and roll war story. So, so Zombie, uh, Zombie Town was uh, filmed during the Yugoslav War of 93? I think I went out there first in 92. Oh, so you guys might have heard of High 8. Have you heard of High 8 as a format? So we day, these days it's all about cards and whatever. So in our days, when we were just kids in a block, it was tapes. And High 8 was probably your, your crappest tape you could think of. And John, which is probably the most uh, expensive High 8 documentary. Was it feature length, wasn't it? No, it was a 30-minute, which was actually really good because we'd never shot anything in our life. And that's one thing about what I would say is always jump in you can because you only learn from your mistakes. And by God, we learn from our mistakes. So... We spent oh, some like a week just shooting everything. We didn't have a script, and we shot all this, and then we we didn't know how to edit. So one of my friends said, "Oh, I've got an editor." So we all compiled this edit. So it was a kind of guerrilla style. Yeah, the commission editor who will remain nameless then take us to another company and say, "I don't trust these people. You know, they're they're cowboys." And then you moved. So you've done location sound. You've oh, done uh, theatre. You've mm -hmm. done, you begin to do, um, uh, what do you call it, sound design. 
<laughs> well, I, I did composition. Composition. So I started working doing composition for film and TV. So then you start your own company. So that's around about 93. Oh, was it? Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> uh, run it called The Base, which is where it's got a short, so even Glasgow shorts. Short films went down that way. Short documentaries, short animations and, and short films. So in three years we had five British BAFTA nominated films, which was a third of all the British na nominated films. Not Scot Scottish ones, actually. British ones, which is not bad for a basement in Glasgow. Yeah, well, it was a way with... It, 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 was, uh, it was called uh, the, the Base, and it was in a basement flat in the south side and it was a pretty kind of low-key thing mm. good coffee good curries and good work but it was it was more akin to people coming in with people. their passion projects yeah people would come in because they want they knew that we'd look after them yeah and then uh, i'm just going to give them the yeah, yeah. quick thing and then you sign on to the man around about 2007 you join arc which is now 422 mm -hmm. uh, one of the probably one of the biggest facilities you've got quite few facility companies in Scotland, Glasgow anyway. At the time I joined the ARC actually was a member of a company who were fifth biggest facilities company in, in Britain. Yeah. So they were actually quite huge at the time. Okay. So I thought what I could do, I'm just going to show another thing which is, that gives you his background, all the kind of stuff. And let's show murder now. Now, oh, yeah. we, we want to show you some clips that have, what you might call them pre-Cobbin and post-Cobbin. So you have an idea. Uh, the majority of you, you're interested in location sound or sound design. What are you? What, oh, yeah, what's your interest? Good question. Post sound. Probably. Post sound. What would, sound. If you put your hands up, what would you say? Post sound. What's everyone? And location sound. So only uh, two, two and a half, I guess. Yeah. yeah but uh, some didn't put their hands up. No sound. Sound design. Maybe? Editor. Who's an editor here? Editor. Well, what's the other interest then? Where's Where's everyone else? The people who didn't put up the hand. Are we co composers? You're a composer, yeah. Is it composers? Yes. Oh, okay, you're right. So, so you used to try to do a lot of those different things. Yeah, master so, of none. Uh, master of nothing, jack of all trades. Yes. So what I'd say is we're going to show a, a, a clip from a series called Murder. Now, Murder was a big 2016 series. Well, watch this. To give you an idea, this is primetime BBC2 network. Quite a big deal, but really good and sonically really interesting as well, as well as filmically. So I, I call uh, you know what you do is the dark arts normally because I'm a documentary director and, and a lot of people I speak to don't really understand what your process can do. Mm. So when when I'm working with you, you do everything from sound design to actually doing new music to effects and stuff like that. But in here, what were you what are you trying to achieve and what's your sort of sense that you're you're wanting to achieve for a viewer? It's a brilliant, really, really amazing film. That image of the little boy. It's him as, as a child, and his dad ragged him down the stairs and said he was going to shoot him because he wasn't a cultural, he didn't have cultural blood and all this. So as Dominic grows older, he just kind of falls into abuse, drink, drugs. So is this real, based on reality? No, no, it's no, not on reality, but, but this scene, what I, why I particularly like this scene, is you're trying to, you're trying to push it. It's like a, a champagne cork coming out but you're also trying to give some empathy to the child, which then gives you empathy for, I mean, the, the guy has allowed some person to die. He could have saved her, but he allowed this woman to die. So you've got to, you know, like, you, so I'm trying to, with what we're trying to do is we're trying to give the fear, you know, of what has driven this person. I can't remember what was sound or music, so it's like you're always kind of 
it's you've always kind of doing a bit of a dance. Paul Paul Morgan's brilliant, but some composers they overcompose. There's a point where once music's placed in the film, you can't get it off. It's really hard to persuade people to say this music doesn't work here, and you've got to be really brave. But you have to like rip it out. So. I guess it's how to feel that you're seeing things fresh. Mm. So when you go through a, a, so you understand that there's an offline process, an online process, mm. a dub, and all that kind of stuff. It's it's how everyone starts feeling too kind of you can't see the wood, the wood for the trees because you're mm. you're in amongst it and amongst it. And you in your role, you mm. have to be the 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 bad guy and say actually you've over baked this this yeah. souffle. This souffle is and also for ourselves as well. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a famous sound designer called Randy Tom. But this guy, Randy Tom, said, you've got all these people working on the dialogue, and you've got all these people working on the, the music, and you've got all these pe people working on the sound design, the foley, and all this, and it all comes in. They all go, it sounds terrible. And his job, he says, is to stop people jumping out windows over, over the first three days of the mix, because you've got all these people that have just spent you know, three months working on it, and it sounds, for the want of a better word, shite so his experience is to turn around and say calm down let's just start breaking it down and then there's other classic ones where you've got some big war sequence you know the sound department i've been working flat out for months on it and you know and they've got all these sound effects and and the director walks into the remixing engineer and goes i still think that would do just as a music sequence only and suddenly all this work have, has just been placed in the cutting room floor. So even in this design here, there's a fine line between where you might say, does it work, doesn't it work? And I think it works because it's aggressive. It gets you into a, f um, a feeling of, oh, it's a horror situation. But it's also, I mean, I love the thing where when he's taking the drugs and there's a, a great sound in there. I don't know if you heard it, but it was, he just he does a scream. It's the sound of a, a pig um, squeal, but it's actually a pig and a horse. But it was a sound that I created for a kids' program. Is that Oakley's? No, no. So it's you're always you know it's always that. So I, I particularly like this scene because I think it balances the kind of horror of what is going through Dominic's head. The little boy. I mean, imagine. You know, your, your parent holding a gun at you. It's just a really not a, a nice moment. Have you got any questions, Evan? Uh-huh. No, just taking that clip as an example, mm. you've got your chat on the board, just that bit there. What's your thought process on actually doing the sound design for it? Because you give it to all of us, we can go away for an hour and come back with 20 different versions. What is it? Are you working purely on visual? Or you I think the one thing I always knew, I wanted the white lights and all that to feel quite it was actually quite tamed this was tamed the director asked it to be taken down because and there's another issue that happens is that it's a term it sounds really pretentious but it's a really good term i use quite a lot it's called visual space and a lot of sound people and composers they, they go whoa we've got to fill the whole film this i really wanted to be quite vicious and i think it is is it vicious or is it, is it I mean, it's quite, it's quite nice. We, we saw it in, in a cinema, and it was quite good to kind of feel the, the weight of it. So you, what you're trying to do, if I'm right, I'm saying, you're trying to look at the film as it comes into you, 
and then you're trying to kind of put your stamp on it, how you think you can yeah. actually improve it, get the best result. Is there any other questions? I have a question. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, do you feel that because so much of it goes to the cutting room floor that that can put off sound designers going out and putting their effort into bespoke recordings? No. I think actually, I think, well, I think there's a... Rather than using like <coughs> library and fully I think there's a real problem where now on a laptop you can have a full orchestra and that abundance of palette and I think sometimes reducing your palette where you say actually for this film I'd like a broken piano and that's all you're allowed to use. I, don't, I can't remember the conversation, anyone seen the conversation? What, that was a Walter Murch film and I think the design and the music, I think it's worth Check oh, them. the old film. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah with uh, Gene Hackman. Yeah, yeah, and they're spying on someone, and they're yeah, that's a great, that's a great. Yeah, and that's Walter March again, yeah. and um, and I think. Well, so Walter March has worked, worked with um, Orson Welles and, and that kind of level, isn't he? Apocalypse Now, Godfather, stuff yeah. like that. But um, so to answer the question. I think that, there, yeah, we have a huge sound effects library. We put in dog and we have 200 dogs. And sure enough, we probably have three of our favorite dogs that we kind of go to. Um, but for other things is you need to distort and change it. And I think that we do get quite often if we're working on, like say a kid series and we have the new designer coming in and they'll go, right. I'm going to design everything, you know, and then suddenly it comes to myself or Will, and we'll <laughs> we'll just go to our sound effects, and because someone has designed the sound effects, and they're really really good, so there's a kind of balance between going out and trying to design it bespoke, and sometimes going, how much time have you got to make it sound good, you know, if you listen to 200 sound effects out. Uh, over the time it took you to design one sound effect, you'll probably hear about eight or ten that'll go elsewhere in the mix, while actually you've just spent an awful lot of time for one sound effect, and then it comes to me and I go, actually, it sounds like a crow re reversed backwards, put through a reverb, and does it actually... But if you're talking about sound design, which I think you're more talking about, isn't it? Yeah. it so it's an overall kind of mouthfeel that you're wanting to create, which mm. is a kind of like a, would you say like an ambience, an overall kind of system you're trying to make people feel something mm. right and then I guess that's I suppose it becomes difficult if you've got sound design and a composer working separate and they're, they're mm. vying against each other because they're all trying to get kind yeah. of the top billing almost in a kind of you know you know in terms of their sound so how, how would you wrestle with that? I don't know it's a really difficult one one of my friends he was a, a filmmaker and a dubbing mixer and he loves what's the murders that she wrote or something like that yeah. He was kind of saying that they, they only have the start music, the odd, and then the end music, and that's it. And it's like a, a 50 minute program. And now we're expecting music everywhere. Why put, when someone's crying, why put sad music on the crying? You know, why put it on the point that they're crying? Why not wait until the crying's happened and then put the music after it? which actually allows you to get the emotion and then you get the payback. You can start to get into someone's head. Where sound effects work is you can place yourself. Like you can be on a beach, you can, sound effects can be used for depth of field. You can use it for like a dog in the background barking. It's like the classic one, you put a buzzard 
when you're on a um, uphill side. You've got to be careful not to constantly use the same things, but they are useful because you hear a, a depth of field. One of the thoughts I had is like, we're listening in here in a kind of concentrated manner. And you know we're listening to apart from the music next door here, but we you know we're all concentrating. And in my house, I've got two kids, and I've got someone playing yeah. a game, and you know it's well, a better environment. <laughs> you know, better environment. You know, my wife wants a cup of tea or whatever it is. You know, but it's it's a different environment. And and how do you so you listen to murder? And we'll go into murder in a second. You listen to murder where you've got beautiful sound design, you've got this lovely com com composition, whatever, and all the stuff you bring to the table. But someone's putting on TV with pretty shite speakers on a £200 Argus TV, which is probably what I've got in my bedroom anyway. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, how do you... You talked about seeing murder in the cinema, mm. and everyone's vested in it going, oh, that's great. And the reality is most people aren't hearing that. Yeah. So how, how do you create sound that works in two different platforms, I guess, is what I'm... Where a lot of young designers, composers get it wrong is they put in big bass. <laughs> and then they, then they, go, into, they go into a dub and... <laughs> like, and they go, well, oh, that TV, I couldn't hear it. So is it like the Michael Bay kind of Transformers sound? Yeah. That kind of, I can't do that. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, is that what you're saying? That's, that, that gives you... Something like, what's his name, Johan, Johan, Johansson? From the Arrival. From the, the Arrival and Sicario, I think it is. He's using these gritty synths because they've got a lot of good bass in They've also got a lot of good aggressive mid. That music really sits quite happily in a mix. We get a lot where people put these woolly, bassy sounds and they get really upset because you're kind of going, you are going to lose it in a TV. Uh, when you felt that you overstepped the, the composer or the composer overstepped your sound, uh, uh. can you tell us of any episode on how that turned out? I have a total respect for composers because, because I used to do it. See, when you walk into to a room where you're going to present your music and you're terrified that people go, you know, we didn't, we didn't want it to be less. Actually, the funniest one I ever had was uh, I was working on a children's series about burns. I was meeting the director in the morning for breakfast, and this is for uh, like a six-part series, and I was writing the music, and the director said to me, right, John. I don't want any music from that period. I want it to be contemporized, you know, make it a modern feel. I'm going, okay. Okay. So then I go and meet the producer. Obviously, they'd fallen out. They weren't talking to each other. And the producer says, now, John, I want it all authentic. I want it to be authentic instruments. I'm going, it's just, so I, I can feel for the composers. And you've also got to be very careful because we'd worked on sound design. We want to push that more. So it's a kind of balance. It's, it's there's the one thing I say about sound design or anything like that. There's there's two rules. The first rule is work within the context of the film. It's, if you if you do it right, the film's great. And the second rule is there's no rules. You know? I think my my thought is actually when by the time that people come to the last stage, the, the dubbing is you spent your money. You spent your money, <laughs> and you're most tired. So speaking like from yeah. my point of view. I come to you and I'm, and I'm needing him to give me a boost. The difficulty would be that you're meeting a different person every day or every third day or whatever it might be who all need roughly the same thing. Mm. They need a wee bit of massaging of the ego because we feel a bit vulnerable. We need you to make it better and yeah. we want you to make it better. And also, 
at the time I'm beginning to finish my paperwork, so I'm beginning to kick around and then just fart in the back of his suite, right? And just kind of kick about, Googling, you know, Googling around and doing nothing. And so you're having to play all those things. So have you heard of Dean Humphreys, anyone? Has anyone heard of Dean, uh, Dean Humphreys? So Donnie Brasco and so on. So Do Dean Humphreys phoned John when you did the replacements, which was another primetime BBC Two series, just, no, just on. BBC One. BBC One, one. just on. And uh, I was reading an interview with him, and he was saying he's seen people actually having fights in his mm -hmm. suites as a result. One thing he was talking about was he was doing a, a thirteen million dollar flop. That was a turkey. Nobody liked it. And the producer and the director started punching each other in the back of the suite, right? So, any other questions? Yeah. I was just going to ask another question about balance, really. I was wondering, um, how do you strike the balance between being efficient and working quickly with trying to achieve either your creative vision or that of the director or producer? Working late. To be quite honest, it's all sweat. It's really, it's really difficult. And it's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I think that's the main thing is actually, Sometimes you just have to put the hours in, and that's it. And sometimes you're there at one in the morning. And the important thing is, if you're in at one in the morning, make sure you're in at eight thirty before the director gets in, so you can check what mess you've made at, at one o'clock in the morning. Because quite often there's a sweet spot. I usually find I like working. At, you know, I, I kind of quite like. He falls asleep. You know, I've got to keep him. I'm falling asleep now. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's. Really, the balance is, is fear of failure. Really, that's it. And it's just hard work. What I was going to say is that it's really important just because of the demographic that's here. And there's a wee note that I wrote. But we had some people in um, recently. They said, uh, they were saying they were wanting to get into sound. Going great. And I said, how are you with Pro Tools? Oh, um, we're not not learned to it, the college is not. And I'm like going, well, stop right there. I was actually quite hard with them. I said, I'm not interested in you. Because you can get free Pro Tools on the internet. You can get it as a student discount. You can watch videos. So learn your equipment is really important. You don't need to be a genius on and We don't talk plugins or don't really talk geeky stuff. We're talking what's a good sound design or what how to do that. So we're not caring about the equipment, but what we do care about is teaching people the equipment. So come, someone comes to us, they should know Pro Tools. The other thing is, you must make yourselves invaluable to other colleges, other people. Phone up GMAC, make sure that you're the sound person of choice. These people will take you through. I mean, it's like Stephen and myself have went through so do many. Do you know GMAC? Do you know that? Classical yeah. Media Access. Effectively, I suppose what you're saying is, you become the go-to person in your yeah. little clique. That, so that when everyone's got a job, they go, I know, I know her, mm. I know him, I'm going to phone them. And that's exactly. the more you do, I call it spread enough, crap against the wall and something will stick. Yeah, you yeah, know. you can be the best guitarist the world has ever seen, but if you spend, you're better than Jimi Hendrix, but if you're, you spend your time in your bedroom with your guitar, then you're the stupidest guitarist the world's ever seen because that talent is lost. The energy that you guys can bring to the job, but you must, must, must learn the software. Or, or equipment, location equipment. Is I would say it's probably a brutal industry. Oh, it's but it, and, and that, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff, the people who really want it will go forward, and the people who are semi into it and kind of like the idea and think it's a bit cool will probably drop off after a while. Because you get a lot of knockbacks. Oh, but yeah. I would say it's probably the same in every sphere, you know, whether you're doing location sound mm. or doing drama, 
or doing animation or doing dubbing, whatever it might be, you know, you just got to keep on rising a bunch. Of, you know, you gotta, you've got to keep on, whenever you get punched, get back up. Yeah. Because the person next to you will get back up. And that's the way to think about it. So if you decide to fall, then it's your gain. If you decide to fall, you're gain, and so on and so on. So if you keep on pushing that forward. I was next going to go, is there any other questions? I think called Soundscape, which was a Belgium company. So I started it in 95, when at that point you were looking at four track systems, if you're lucky, and I managed to get this as an eight track system, then it moved to a 12, then it escalated, but it was just really powerful, but unfortunately didn't keep up with it. And it's, so, which is exactly where I'm, I mean, I had to do a massive learning curve so I think it's just really important to learn your equipment. And that's maybe the bigger message, isn't it? It's to continue learning. You know, well, you, you've just bought a whole load of yeah, new equipment and you've had to learn that. It's about it. It's, like it's evolving, continuing. Yes. How do you mix uh, music with the traffic? Do you sidechain some of it? And what kind of automation do you apply on the mixing? On the mixing? Yeah. Automation? I, I just, I, I actually... When I worked on this software called Soundscape, I, I just worked with Snapshot. <laughs> I like Snapshot automation. I actually very rarely use faders, which is a flaw for myself, because actually faders give a, a dynamic, which is a, it's quite a good dynamic, because of the software I worked on, I, I like chiseling away at things. And I, Any other questions before you? Yes. Based on an interview I read with you, where you were talking about your work on so actually, I, I did a lot of Gaelic TV documentary. I think that's the only Gaelic feature film actually that's ever been. I don't think there's been any other Gaelic feature film. It's a really good film actually, really really good film. I can't answer that because that was. How did I balance it up? I just enjoyed the structures of the language. Once you've done your dialogue edit, you, you kind of understood the story through the images, and then because you had a kind of idea of how the script was going, um, and you'd had it checked to make sure that you hadn't made any big blunders, it's really important, you know, not to... So well, one thing I've noticed, maybe in roughly answering your question is, I've worked with a lot of dubbing mixers and, and people over time, and some people, you always watch films before you do any work, and I've worked with some people who have never, have never watched it, Yeah. and so normally I get a phone, in all seriousness, normally we have a phone call, yeah. and you've watched it, and then you have first chats about it, and I guess that's, and I've seen some dubbing mixers not doing that at all. You know, they just go straight into work mm -hmm. and they're looking at what's all the, I don't know what you call it, your channels, your stems or whatever it might be. And they're looking at all your, your uh, you know, audio oh, tracks and all that. They just work from there. But you always talk about it from a kind of like a editorial, uh, editorial point of view. I think, I think maybe the same really when you're talking about a film, a foreign language, yeah. maybe. I think, I think an awful lot of people start getting into, once again, plugins, things and all that. At the end of the day, it's about... If someone doesn't understand a piece of dialogue, sometimes things get missed. So your job is to make sure that you understand the story. My opinion is that 
someone's watching and they miss a bit of dialogue, they don't understand it, then they go like this, oh, and they try and work out, but by that time the film's already moved on. How many times have you watched films where you go, oh, I miss it, you know, it creates a chaos, it, it, it cr creates a, a false pacing where you're actually slightly in a panic to try and get the information. Well, and that's what a dialogue editor does to declutter, to declutter the, the you know the mix. So before I do anything, I do the dialogue edit. I make sure that do I understand what the person's saying? I pull handles out to see if there's words, syllables that might make a word sound better or whatever. A lot of people forget that you know if you, someone's going, I I was uh, cycling down the road and someone's cut on the road, maybe hunt for another road further along or another take, just put in the dip. That's what I do for dialogue editing. I, I quite enjoy it, because you're creating clarity for the audience to view it and not be stressed. So um, one of the difficulties will be, you know, you've done a lot of, of different kind of things and every director will be precious. And because I'm sitting here, I'll allow you, you can, you can rip the crap out of one of my films, right? So what we wanted to do when we were meeting John Thomas is, to put negative stuff. So that's when a director, which in this case was me and with my editor, so 2006 I made a, a, a series about kids who'd been abused and they were in a care home. It was the first time in the UK you could see him. And then five years later on I came and revisited him and there was one guy who then went and met all his sort of ex-pals from his care home to find out why they'd all went to prison. And he'd nearly been in prison, but everyone else had and he, he was one guy that didn't. So it was like his road trip. Now in, our, in this current climate we're in, we have a five-week offline edit, which really means a two-week offline edit because after two weeks you're having your first viewings with your executives. So very, very crowded and you're slamming everything down as quick as you can. Because, we, because we're friends, so in, John can talk about actually where we went wrong. I think we've probably crowded the, the edit. We're going to just show you one minute here and we're showing you your version first and then our version. But throughout the whole of the 60-minute film, I'd say our offline was a bit more crowded. But I think we had a lot of sweets in our in our two weeks before we started having viewings. I think we were crowding the edit a wee bit when I look at it back now, you know. So this that's is actually that's the thing is trying to create space. Working in sound is is actually helping the editor as well. I I do a lot of moving dialogue yeah. out of picture, you know, when 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 it's you know when you're not when it's not talking head of course. But we also do cheeky things where we actually do move things slightly out of sync just to get pace. So, so this is this is John's version. So this was a guy revisiting. So he, throughout the film, he met his pals, and then he revisits his mum was a heroin addict. He was born a heroin addict by dint of coming out of the womb with a mum who was on heroin, uh, and very chaotic. Really, um, lots of different types of abuse went on in his family. So then he, I took him back to the psych hill where he was born, and he hadn't been in there, I think, for something like eight years and they had a very bad reaction. Throughout the film, we'll have my version before, which is not very different, but I'd say over throughout the whole hour, actually you stripped away, I, I would probably hazard to guess something like maybe 20% of our music. Yeah. Because why I had this idea that it, it, every person he met would have different types of music to do with the kid that I was filming. So uh, Bradley at this point, he was really into grime, so everything was all about grime music. There was another guy who was into sort of more raving music, another guy into something else, I can't remember. But, so every time you met a person, you'd have their type of music to try and give a sort of theme. And then you began to remove a lot of that stuff out to try and... 
Did I put? Uh, did I start putting stuff? You know, digest by in the. In we did the, that when when kids were on the move, so it was like radio, uh, when they were out and about. It was kind of, yeah, probably experimenting with a few different techniques. So anyway, this is a, uh, um, my version. So, I mean, we use all the scrappy ends of the footage. My editor had a great idea, so all the scenic shots where the the end of shots as the camera's moving down from the next shot try and create this kind of more of a visceral feeling so it felt angular. John, do you want to take over from here and give me what your sort of thoughts were? Um, the edit, I don't know if anyone noted that there was a slack edit. That just editors, they don't, you know, they're too busy thinking of a thing, so slack edit there. Um, as you go through it, I think what my idea for that was, actually, driving shots are fun. So if you, the minute you get to a driving shot, that gives you full license to have fun with it, you know, because there's so much movement and all that, but then I was also very conscious that when he went and said, I'm really, um, I'm feeling uncomfortable here, it was a hard place, and you did have that kind of sound, I don't know if I like dogs so much, I think I would have taken that out now, the kids shouting, and those actually kids sound like older, about maybe 17, but the thing is that they're actually pitched down from young kids shouting and then then you go into the alarm um which actually may be just slightly too loud in the mix but it's quite difficult in here of course so it was really just trying to take it was all for that scene so, you know so the audience would kind of get into his head again he leads into he goes back into the car and he basically has a small breakdown he understands actually his life was pretty crap and it's the first time in the filming it Boy Bradley kind of evaluated himself and then he went goes to the next person. It was kind of this guy he met in a purple suit, actually is a very famous copper, um, John Carnegie, and he set a violence violence reduction unit in, in Strathclyde, which was huge. It removed a lot of the gang culture of Glasgow and and really did you know did paid really uh, huge dividends to our safety today, you know, massive effect. And John's all his theory, John Carnegie's theory was the kid is uh, they don't want, they're not born bad, what happens to actually, if you can go all the way back with them, they can realise the, the issues. So actually it's not the care home in this case, it's actually what happened to him, to his mother, which his boy brought up to that point and never, never agreed to, never analysed. So what John was trying to do was create, this is my memory anyway, is create a readiness in the audience for the next scene, which is him in the car and he's really having a hard time. Oh yeah, yeah, the next scene is really quite upsetting because yeah. he's really so, suddenly realising what the hell, you know. And But the interesting thing is also him calling out to you in the, <coughs> the edit. It was quite muffly and quite radio mic. And what I was trying to do was I put a delay on his voice, tried to make him sound like he was more in situ, which allowed to feel more caught in a situation that he does, didn't want to be in. Because he had a radio mic on a t-shirt, I can't remember, the jumper, and then as soon as he got to say hill, it wasn't cold, he put his jacket on, put his hood up, and then it, the, the radio mic was down there with a jacket zipped up and stuff like that, so. Is there any questions? Um, it's really hard to show a negative, isn't it? Show something that, I suppose, has the difficulty of this whole, this whole thing is, how do you show what you can also take away? Do you, do you see what I mean? That's what we're trying to say, is I think actually John took away a lot more. Were you saying there that the, like, the alarm from the kids in the background, that was all location sound? No, they were adults. Ah, yeah. 
So in the original, there was nothing there. And in some respects, I maybe think it's actually just slightly too busy in, in the dubbed version. Is that something that you enjoy, sort of, to play God with a sort of yes. in the documentary like that, you're trying to create a better atmosphere, or not a better atmosphere, but an atmosphere that we I prefer with. taking away things. I love silences. I think silences are actually, silence makes up 50% of music. If you don't have silence, you don't have music. So same with the design, it's like, I actually think silence is, you know, silences are important. Would you say you use silences a lot to create different tensions? Yeah. Silences are a great thing. You've got to, you've got to be careful with them. And actually, in some respects, I would have probably made it slightly more silent. Yeah, I, mean, I would say you're a product of the time you're in just now. Your skill level is at the skill that you are now. Just like your skill at that time was the skill you were at and the skill I was at. You know what I mean? And that's why I think I had some friends. I used to start in the short film world, like you did. Mm. And I knew some people who want to continue to make a perfect short film. Mm. And I think you have to move on. You know, make that and the best you can for the money you've got, the time you've got, and then move on, and then and then you build up an armory of different skills, different techniques, of things to get out. Because if you only concentrate on the one film, yeah. it might one day be perfect, but at the same time, changes, fashions change, don't they? People's ideas change. So if you keep on moving on to your next thing, then I think it gets you stronger. My my feeling about the whole film thing with digital cameras, with the ability, so many talented people are in. I really don't understand why people don't make more features in Scotland, low budget features. The important thing is make sure the scripts had a fourth version to fifth version. Make sure your friends aren't the people who are saying, it's great. Make sure that you've had some really hard diagnostics to it, you know, and then make sure it's simple setups and then just go and make a film. I actually think there's not enough feature films made. I was really lucky because when I started doing things like Tartan Shorts, short films, none of the people I was working with knew what I was doing, and I didn't know what I was doing. I made all my mistakes. You only yeah. learn from mistakes. You know, you really do. So that's why I go out and make a feature, and make another one, then make another one, and just do it. That's what my feeling is. Yeah, Sorry, just a minute. Do you think there's a big difference with working on film and TV? And which one do you prefer working on? Um, I worked, uh, I love, see after working on a film, or a drama, or are we talking drama mainly, or a drama, after working on a drama, I suddenly go, oh God, I'd really like a good documentary. And Stephen coming in again. You know, it is a kind of feeling that it's, a, it's quite nice to be able to do different disciplines. And then after like doing a, a long series of documentaries, you go, actually, I'd really like to do good drama. I recently did a drama last year, or year before, called Pale Star. It was, from, it was an Icelandic film, and I loved it. And it was, there was not a single bit of dialogue for 30 minutes. From the beginning, 30 minutes, there was no dialogue. And it was just fun, because we had to create, you know, create the feeling of being in Iceland. There was lots of violence. Violence is fun. If you're ever doing violence, a hit isn't violent. It's the reaction. It's got to sound like someone's hurting, if you're going to do it. Okay, well We've got ten more, ten more minutes oh, of good. him on the seat, so we can either show you some stuff, or if you've got if other questions, then we can do other questions. We could show Eve, which is a massive series you've done, a children's series, so that's a kind of the antidote. I think we probably. Or do you, do you have other questions, or do you do you want to watch a thousand pictures? Would you prefer that? Would you want to go straight to Eve? Okay. Eve.
when I first got it, actually I rebuilt this whole scene because it had all the zzz, zzz, you know, electric sounds. And we didn't really want it to be electric. I wanted it to be, where's this sound coming from? Are, so, are you building to the final graded graphics image? No, we, we quite often have to build before we even see the final. So we're actually having to do a lot of, uh, oh, this is going to be happening here. And then occasionally we actually go, oh, we didn't know that was happening. You know, so sometimes you do. So in this one, you created the, 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 the sound, the, the, the dub, mm. and, and the effects, if you like. Yeah. Blind. Uh, quite a lot of it was blind, yeah. yeah. We kind of knew the sound was, and we'd seen some stills, but we hadn't, we didn't have the, the final. Does that seem strange to you? Does it seem terrifying? It seems uh, <laughs> the wrong way around, doesn't it? You know? Chance to sort of tweak it. Once, once oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We tweak it all the time. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. These are the fun jobs. These are the jobs that you should just throw everything at it. And enjoy while actually, if you're doing a subtler one, you know, like your film, yeah, yeah, or you're actually then trying to work within the context of a film and not overcooking it. As I say, there is that whole thing about us as sound people trying to get our stuff on screen and composers trying to get their stuff on screen. Well, I guess like, everyone's trying to fight their corner to yeah, yeah, exactly. kind of like to showcase what they can do and what yeah. they bring to the table. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyone's got no more questions? Yes, yeah, so you have a question. How common is it for somebody to be a composer and a sound designer? Oh, tons, tons. I mean, and actually, it's not a bad thing. There's quite a few out there. It's good. You get also you get sound designers and Walter Marks, of course, great editor, great. Uh, he's got three Oscars, so he's a um, uh, sixteen nominations for Oscar. Something like that. He's huge, and he does editing and sound design. And does it standing up and not sitting down? Huh. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering what kind of contacts kind of led towards you getting the, the kids' TV job, and was or was it did it lead on from another project? It was from uh, MI High. My biggest bit of advice, as well, apart from learning your equipment, is actually learn learn to know production managers. They seem to have the funding, don't they? they well, they're the lords, you know. They're the kind of lords at the moment. So you get to know the people. You've got to sell yourself. And that's the important thing, and get to know the people around you. Okay, should we can we watch one last clip? Mm -hmm. And that's the one that you've you've fallen in love with that you wanted us to talk about. One thousand pictures. Yeah, it's about Bobby Kennedy. Uh, Robert Kennedy. The film is about his. So when he was shot, then it was a big mass funeral cortege. He had a train. There was a photographer on that train, and all of a sudden, thousands and thousands of people were. Uh, lined up throughout the whole train journey. I, I didn't make it, I don't know how long the train journey was, but... It, um, I think it was 200 miles. Right. I think it's from New York to Arlington. So the story is from a photographer's point of view, who then went to take photos, and then I think the director and the production team found some of the people who were in those photos as wee kids, and, and trace them now as present-day adults. So I personally think that John is probably Scotland's most talented uh, dubbing fixer. Uh, I've worked with him... Um, Quite a lot of films, and I would say also that you saved me quite a few times. What you bring to it is massive, you know, and, and, and really exciting. But fundamentally, what you do is you bring an energy and a fun, and that's what I wish for you guys as well. Because you're the next generation, you're the people that will push forward, you know. 